That's a growler. Welcome to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, podcast where we discuss and analyze and critique Beauty and the Beast, the 1991 version. Um, we're really excited to have you here. My name is Janae. And I'm Bobby. And we are going to be talking about Minute One of Beauty and the Beast today. Minute One, we're finally starting. Hey, hey. Yay! Okay. <laughs> Happy Monday, everyone. Happy Monday. <laughs> so. Let's start with the forest because, I mean, that's where the minute starts. Yeah, this minute starts. We are zooming in the forest, zooming towards the castle that we'll see later. And it ends with a narration saying, melted ah. So. <laughs> saying what? Melted ah. He says melted away, <laughs> but he doesn't, get to, he doesn't get the full away in yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I love it. That's the thing about doing these minute things. You're not going to get clean cut of where it starts and stops, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So we get, well, in the end of the previous minute, we got the first glimpse of roses. But now we do. I mean, I guess I haven't really thought too much about the symbolism of the rose. Maybe we can talk about that in another episode. But unless you have thought about it. I haven't really put too much thought into the rose itself. I just like how there are roses and flowers like throughout the movie a lot. And so if you look for them, you're going to see them. And, you know, that's just kind of representing, I guess, the time that the beast has and the, I don't know, transientness of beauty, uh, uh, life. <laughs> yeah. We should probably think about that more. <laughs> we'll talk about that more later. <laughs> um, I love the peacefulness it's funny because the beginning of the music is very dark and sinister and then it kind of lightens and brightens up here when we come into the forest and you start to zoom through it and you see like animals and you hear birds and there's a water fountain and it's bright and there's like light shining and we're gonna zoom right past that into the the castle and the sad story but i do love the contrasts that are in the art and in the music and uh, yeah i just I love, love the, what were you gonna say i just love the the music i mean it's just such, such a yeah. like a little haunting melody i guess it, you know it's very like light and i don't know it, it it's awesome i just love the music in this movie i can't i can't I know, speak to so it good. so much we're gonna be gushing about that the whole time <laughs> i wish i had a bigger like music theory background so i could talk about it more and hopefully we'll yeah. find a guest to come on and talk about like just the music um but i just love the music i think it's awesome and then kind of like you were saying um i love the sound as we're going through this minute like as the camera zooms through the forest towards the castle you can hear how the sound engineers like change the depth of the sound i know props to the sound designers right yeah so you'll hear the waterfall as you're approaching that and then it fades into the background and you know you just hear there's a lot of depth to the sound as you're as you're zooming through this this forest okay so then once we get through the forest and start to zero in on the castle um the narration guy who is this guy can we just talk about him i wanted to look it up but i didn't oh i did okay it's insane okay so ever since i was a child i'm just gonna preface this ever since i was a child i have heard this narration guy and i've been 
in love with his voice. It's just beautiful and makes you, I don't know, it's so good and crisp and clear and deep and rich. Anyway, um, so the person who is credited as the narrator is David Ogden Steers. And he also plays another part in this movie. Can you guess who it is? Uh, I do not know. <laughs> he also does the voice of Cogsworth. Seriously? Yes! <laughs> I, Cogsworth! Like, when I heard his voice, I was like, okay, I think that's the guy that does Magneto in, like, the X-Men <laughs> movies. And uh, the guy that does, like, Magneto in, uh... It's not... <laughs> Gandalf, that's the other thing it's he does. Not... But I, I guess I was wrong. It's Cogsworth. Oh, um, it's Ian... McKellen or... Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, nope. It is David Ogden Steers, who is the voice of Cogsworth, which, I mean, I'm I'm assuming that everybody who's listening to this has seen this movie, and you know who Cogsworth is. He is a servant that was turned into a clock. Spoilers. <laughs> and <laughs> um, his voice is as Cogsworth is so extremely different from this narrator, which has this deep, rich, ominous, but gentle sound. And it's just incredible to me. It's things like that where I'm like, okay, this is why voiceover is so fascinating to me, because people can do so many things with their voice if they learn how to use it. And that guy, he really does amazing, amazing job. It's not who I expected to be doing that narration at all. Hats off to Cogsworth, man. I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love his voice as well, especially in the, the narration. Um, so I guess that brings us to the stained glass window, because that's what, you know, he starts talking about. What do you have for the stained glass? Oh, gosh, I love the stained glass. This is probably my favorite Disney prologue ever. Like, lots of them have the book on a stand and it opens or whatever. But I just have always been taken with the art and I mean, I I dabble a little bit in um, graphic design, and I do not know yet how to make make something look like stained glass that's just... I mean, I guess they drew it, but (laughs) (laughs) now that I think about it, but still, it's amazing. And, like, I watched this... um, this minute so many times and every time I watched it I saw something different and new in the stained glass art and at the end of the movie there's a little bit of stained glass as well and you can like recognize certain people in it but and so I went back and I was watching this one again and there's nobody that I recognized aside from the prince and the enchantress but I thought that would have been cool is she in the in the glass the enchantress oh you mean in the minute in the minute yeah oh is she not in this minute is she in the minute or she, she's not in the minute unless she's in the glass? Oh, she's not in this minute. Oops, my bad. <laughs> she's she's in. Sorry, she's in the glass, but she's in the next minute. Um, They're really short. They're easy to get confused. Yeah. Yeah. It all kind of blends together. It happens really fast. Yeah. And you don't notice it until you like break it down. Um, right. But I did want to mention like um, something I didn't know until I started researching for this podcast is that apparently like Beauty and the Beast was one of the first movies to use like uh, computer animated stuff in really? the actual movie. So uh, the one I heard about. What was computer animated in it? The the ballroom scene. So when they're swinging through there and like swirling around, apparently that was computer. And it makes sense because it's always like I've always noticed that it's a little different, but I didn't know why. So now I'm going to as we're going back through it, I'm going to like be paying attention to be like, okay, what else might have been done with the computer and 
instead of uh, hand-drawn. Um, but getting back to the stained glass window, we have this first one, and it's super detailed and intricate. And, you know, I only ever really saw, like, the prints. It zooms in on him, and that's the focus. Um, but I did a screenshot, and I just wanted to talk, like, a little bit about what composes this image, like, what his life is composed of before the curse. Because um, it kind of gives us a little story. So you've got him in his castle, and he's wearing his armor, and he's got his sword. Um, um, but then to the right, you've got, like, a day scene of a village, and you've got a few courtesans, and you've got a knight with a horse, and it's just kind of like, hey, happy little, you know, people in my kingdom. Uh, right. And then as like as you move around the window, you've got peasants working in the field, and some hunting dogs watching him and his crest uh, with the little Latin thing. Um, Which I want to talk about that. I mean, okay, you know, let's go ahead. And, let's go ahead and dive into that. And what? What? Okay. What is up with that? Because I never noticed that before we started this. Oh, really? Okay. Um. So, I mean, I had always noticed it, but I didn't know what it said or what it meant because it's in Latin. But basically, um, vincit qui se vincit, I probably butchered that, but means he conquers who conquers himself, which is an adaptation of a phrase by a guy named, okay, I'm going to butcher this too, Publilis Cirrus? I don't know. <laughs> I probably said that completely wrong. Sounds good to me. He's a Latin writer of maxims. And the original maxim that he wrote was Bis vincit qui si vincit in Victoria, which means he conquers twice who conquers himself when he is victorious. Mm -hmm. And I read that like 10 times. I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> but basically, it means that if you can control your urge to be arrogant and smug, cruel or vindictive or whatever mean things whenever you win then you are conquering yourself twice because you've won and then i guess it's basically saying don't be a poor winner and um that if you can conquer yourself you are going to be all the better for it that's the true conquer is when you can conquer yourself and your own tendencies towards these bad things which is telling because at the start of this story, that's where the prince is. The prince is not living by this maxim. He doesn't conquer himself. He's letting the arrogant, cruel, smug person inside rule him. And as a result, he ends up paying for it. But I thought that was interesting. And I thought about, am I allowed to bring in future characters that we haven't seen yet in the show? <laughs> I mean, I already did it. Ah, uh, sure. But, like, <laughs> I was thinking about, so there's Gaston, right? Right. Who we're going to meet in a little bit, in a few episodes. And he's kind of the antagonist. And he's very arrogant, smug. He's pretty cruel and manipulative and all these things. And I wonder how different Beast would have been from Gaston. If he hadn't had this experience that he's about to go through, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, even in the stained glass picture here, he's kind of like lording over the the image, and you know, right. just kind of like sitting on top of not sitting on top of, but you know, he's he's over his people. It's him, and then his people around him supporting him. And you know, as we progress in in these minutes here, we'll get a better idea of what he was like as a person and how that all plays out. But I did. Does he have a name like? Besides Beast? So he, from what I understand, I mean, in the movie, no, he 
he's not called by any other name. I think I read somewhere that in some sort of Disney's, I think a computer game, they call him Prince Adam. Okay. And, I mean, it's produced by Disney, so it's technically, like, canon, I guess. <laughs> but, so, people call him Prince Adam, but he's he doesn't beast. have, he's never called by anything else in the movie except for the prince. He's the prince, and he's beast. So... Okay, well, I have some more questions about him that'll come up in the in the next few minutes. And there's something I forgot to minute in, mention in minute zero. But like one of the things I'm really curious about as we're going through this is trying to figure out like where exactly this took place because we know it's in France, but like where and when in France and uh, kind of like what the situation would have been. And obviously, you know, it's a fairy tale, but I think it'd be interesting to to try to pinpoint that. Right. So we'll be looking more into that into the details. But I was thinking with the with the previous minute when we're going through the forest, like if we can get somebody that knows about trees and vegetation to like figure out what part of France that might have been from. But France is pretty small, so that might not be able to uh, to happen. But anyway, um, so then just to finish up the stained glass window, I guess the last quadrant we hadn't really talked about is another village, and it's kind of at it has it's a night scene. It's got the moon above it, and it's got more courtesans and like a barmaid in it. Um, so I don't know if it's supposed to be the same village or a different village, but you've got kind of night and day on his left and right, and so that's probably some kind of symbolism and foreboding for what's going to happen. He's looking towards the night, but Ooh, I don't know. I haven't so noticed that. It's uh. Just interesting little details you don't really notice until you are studying it. <laughs> right. Well, there was multiple, I don't know how many actual stained glass scenes there were in this minute, but the Enchantress does come in at the end here, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Um. So in this one, I think it's beautiful. I mean, like you said, to if you're looking at the screen, to your left, his right, there's light. And you can see the village in the distance. And on the right-hand side, or his left, it's dark. And there's, like, lightning bolts. And there's, it looks like these balls of fire, like, raining down. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm getting confused. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think that's in the next anyway, minute. There's a bunch of lightning bolts. <laughs> I'm getting confused. Okay, so there's a bunch of lightning bolts in this one, though. And I thought it was really hilarious that the narration during this slide, there's the little old lady, and she's got her crazy-looking stick, and he's at the door, and the narration says that she asked for shelter from the bitter cold. I think that's what it was. Yeah, shelter from the bitter cold. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, shelter from the bitter cold, not from the like 20 lightning bolts that are outside. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, those those might be like off in the mountains or something. Uh -huh. So it could just be cold and rainy, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> because, okay, so I was driving home um, the other night and it was raining and um, first time driving in hail, which was crazy, but there was like a bunch of lightning and thunder in the sky. It's kind of scary. So if there was lightning bolts in the sky when she was standing outside asking for shelter, it's a bit of an understatement. Just saying to ask for just shelter from the cold. <laughs> That's the point I wanted to make, but okay. Okay. Well, I I've got a few notes on this. Um, at second 37, we've got this image. Um, and first off, how old is this guy supposed to be? I know. Well, 
See, I have issues with this. This is one of the first places where this movie does have some inconsistencies. Um, a couple of plot holes here and there, which we still love it. But people surmise that he's supposed to be 11 years old. Because when they're singing Be Our Guest, um, the lyrics that um, Lumiere sings say that 10 years we've been resting, needing so much more than dusting. Right. So people are like, okay, 10 years they've been there. And then at the beginning, we're going to find out, I think in the next minute, some of the terms of and conditions of this curse. Right. And that the rose is going to bloom until he's 21. 21. So if it's been 20 year, or 10 years and it's supposed to bloom until he's 21 and it's almost gone, then he must have been about 11. Which, I mean, we should talk more about this in the next minute, I think, because... We see a little bit more what he looks like than we can see in this stained glass window. But yeah, I think there's a little bit inconsistency with his age here. Okay. And I think <laughs> I think part of that might have to do with how he's portrayed. Like I can I can rationalize it as okay, the people making the stained glass or, you know, making right. images of him as someone that's painting nobility, you always wanted to present like the strong best side of nobility. Right. So a lot of times the images didn't come out as the was realistic. True, right. Um so it's like, okay, in the stained glass they're making him look older and bigger and stronger. But he's like we know that he's a ruler, he's got the scepter, he's He's the ruler. What happened right, to this guy's his parents? parents? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Where are his parents? Who are they? Um, I mean, they, I'm assuming they're dead because he's ruling. Yeah. So something happened. His parents are dead. He's, you know, young, probably 11. He's a ruler. And I just see him as like this young, kind of like petulant child running around saying, hey, I'm the king. I'm the ruler. He's got leg armor on, which, you know, that stuff is not easy to just wear around your castle every time there's a storm. So there's no battle coming. He's just wearing this armor around. He's carrying around his scepter. That's Although true. this is just a That's picture. True. So which, like you just said, they would have painted him in a picture that's much more strong and powerful than maybe he would have been every day. Okay. Well, then uh, we'll save the rest of, of analyzing his images uh, for, for another minute. <laughs> but you mentioned her cane, and I did want to say something about it, is that cane does not look safe. Like, usually, <laughs> if you're going to get a cane, you want something that's, like, stiff and strong and straight and that'll hold you up. And hers has, like, all these 90-degree bends in it. And it's like, she must not weigh a lot because that thing's about to snap if you put any weight on it. The funny thing is, when you said that cane does not look safe, my thoughts went to, yeah, you could get really hurt if she whacked you with that. <laughs> but you're talking about, like, it's not safe to be using as a cane. Right, right. I guess it's not safe for anyone to be around. Um, <laughs> well, she, she. We learn in the next minute that she doesn't really need. Right, she, so. right. It's all for show. <laughs> and uh, so th that moves me towards in in uh, in second forty eight. You get his petulant child face, and to me, that kind of you know he's he's turning her away and he's denying her help, and he's got just like this such. It, if you freeze it on second 48, he's got like this horrible pouty face. Like I'm a spoiled child. I'm not getting what I want, you know, get away from me. And it, I think that just like wraps up what he is before this happens. To right. Him. Have you, did you read any of um, the first draft of, I screenplay? read a little bit of it. I haven't gotten through very much. I didn't get through that much either, but um. I did find that intro that was in the original first version very interesting um, because 
it originally was going to be fully animated, first of all. Right. Which is different than this prologue, which is the pictures and the narration. It was going to be fully animated, and you were going to see this little boy running around. And the enchantress was this renowned wise woman who had advised his parents, apparently. And his servants, his advisors, so like Cogsworth and Lumiere, were telling him, okay, this wise woman is coming to visit and you need to be really nice to her. And he was like, no, I don't want to see her. I don't want to because I don't have to. And they were like, no, no, it's you really need to. And he wouldn't listen. And he ran into her as the old woman, who he didn't know was the Enchantress, in the courtyard and knocked her over and he wouldn't apologize. And she was like, you're not going to apologize? And he was like, no. And he ran away. And that is when she decided to curse him. Okay, that's got a lot more substance to it than what we have. <laughs> I know. And, and she, and it's interesting because it answers the question of why all of the servants were changed as well. Because in that version, the servants pleaded in his behalf to the wise woman, enchantress lady, and they were like, he's just a boy, he doesn't know. And she's like, no, he's just a boy who needs to learn a lesson, get out of my way. And they wouldn't. And so she turned them into the objects that they become. Wow. And then she like follows him into the castle and like finds him like cowering behind a chair and changes him into a beast isn't that such a different opening <laughs> that is like completely different that has a lot more information but probably also would have been like a lot scarier as a child to see yeah i think it would have been a lot scarier and it's much more stylized the way that they end up going with it and it's much more concise which i mean you lose some of the story but yeah yeah interesting the difference right i was like what that was the original crazy which just goes to show how different the first draft is from the final product definitely i think that's about all I have for this minute. I mean, at the very end, he turns her away and she starts the transformation. And so we get the first look at her at the end of this minute in the stained glass image. And, you know, you see her arms and she's transforming herself into her beautiful, majestic self. And her sleeves are huge. <laughs> it's like, how do, how do you function with those things on? Um, her sleeves are huge? Yeah, her sleeves. They're like... I'll have to go back and look at it again. I don't remember her sleeves being They're huge. like a foot and a half wide. Um, well, she has a massive dress. Yeah. It's like green and flowing and it's like the bottom the skirt is like a downward bell but then at the bottom there's these not wisps but like i don't know how to describe it um this part of it that like comes up as well and makes her look like she's cool i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't think of a word but uh, cool <laughs> Very mysterious okay. and powerful, I guess, would be the more appropriate Ma terms to describe it. She's very majestic. <laughs> um, so that's all I have for this minute. Do you have anything no, else? No, I think that's pretty much it. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Yeah, definitely. We'll be back here tomorrow with more from Beauty and the Beastly Minute. In the meantime, you can get a hold of us on our social media. You can go to Twitter and uh, get a hold of us with Beastly Minute at Twitter. We're also Beastly Minute on Facebook or go to growlermedia.com slash Beastly Minute. Janae, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook at JH Voiceover and you'll find links to recordings that I've done if you want to hear my work for audiobook and commercial. 
that is where you can go to find it all in one place. And if you're looking for me, head over to growlermedia.com where you'll see this podcast. You'll see a few other podcasts that uh, we do at Growler Media and you can send me an email there as well. So until tomorrow, we need a good catchphrase to end this thing. Yeah. But you guys should give us some ideas. Give us some ideas. <laughs> until then, we'll see you tomorrow. Our theme music is by Duo Hansen.